Hi, I'm Harry. Hello, I'm Rory, and you're listening to Games on Film. Welcome to Games on Film, the podcast that celebrates video game movies. But today we are going the other way. I always hang to myself. It sounds a bit weird when I say it like that, I think. But we're having a nice chilled out evening discussing Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters video games and all that jazz. We've got our nice cold glass of Ecto Cooler. Um, <laughs> have you ever had Ecto Cooler, Rory? Is no. that just an American thing? That's just an American thing. I think we need to get our Ghostbusters expert to let us know. So who do we have with us today, Rory? We are joined by a very special guest uh, from the Cheap Show podcast. It's Paul Gannon. Hello. Yes, Ecto Cool is an American thing. But it's just orange juice, but it's green. So there you go. <laughs> I'm sure it's like high in sugar. I had I had bread in America once, and I have diabetes, and that gave me diabetes all over again it was yeah, so high in sugar yeah well also speaking of that i mean i remember just in ghostbusters how they refer to a twinkie and just thinking it's this hallowed most beautiful thing which you know it's an american pop culture first time i had a twinkie in america maybe the most disappointing moment of my life <laughs> oh yeah it's vile it's it's cardboard with goo in <laughs> that's putting it nicely <laughs> It's really Unlike dry it. and then fake in the middle with that fake really? cream thing. Yeah, no, it's not for me. You're both... I love Twinkies. I don't Twinkies know, but I think, own. I, I think I get it's just that I still get a little magical feeling. Again, I do like a bit of my own history with Ghostbusters. I loved it as a kid so much, but... Um, and I think I was just listening, looking at all my memories, trying to remind myself of all my childhood memories of Ghostbusters. There's so much stuff in there. And this could just be three old farts just talking about their childhoods. But... To be fair, though, before we go any further, I need to know your ages before you start saying old farts, because, uh, sorry. Oh, well, yeah, I guess I'm, so. Um... I'm 44. I am an old fart now. If you are younger than 40, this conversation ends now. <laughs> um, I... Well, if you're counting birth, if you're counting my age from conception, then I am 40. But that's, oh, a whole okay. other that's a whole other debate. I don't really want to get into in a video game movie podcast. Fair you're, about, you're about so 39 and two thirds. Um, I think so. Just under so. the wire. I'll let, it, I'll let it go. Put it that way. I'm letting this go. But I guess I'm assuming then, did you catch the original film in cinemas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's, here's the weird thing. So I'm really... You probably already know this, but I'm writing a book, right? And I got it. Yeah. Uh, I got it fundraised through a company called Unbound, where it's like mm -hmm. you raise X amount of money, you can write your bloody book. So Stuart Ashen was the one who said I should write a book based on my solo show about Ghostbusters. And uh, a few years ago, it's a very long story, but the gist of it is, a few years ago, I did an Edinburgh show about how I got through depression with ghost hunting, and how I went ghost hunting professionally, quote unquote, as a way to kind of get out of my rut. But part of the show did talk about my love of Ghostbusters and Supernatural, how that kind of 
uh, inspired me as a kid to get into spooky stuff like Trapdoor and Nightmare and all the weird spooky mm. shows. So I was going through like the timeline of all my fucking shit. And <laughs> it was like, and then there was this, this whole memory came up that my mum told me about. And I only had vague recollections of, but it was like, yeah, I did go see it in the cinema. But back in the day, there was this whole thing where, you know, they didn't have View Cinema or Odeon Multiplex. It was like you had one cinema with one big screen in. And it hit, you know, had about 500 people in. So my mother used to work at night, so she couldn't take me. So it was my auntie who took me. And we went to like four or five different cinemas that day just to try and get in because the queues went round the block. Wow. So I was getting increasingly upset that this film I'd waited months to see since I saw it on Going Live and Sarah Green introduced <laughs> it to me. Um, that it of got Ghost Watch the- fame? Yes, of Ghost Watch fame, which is, you know, another <laughs> love of mine. Um, but she, uh, but. I thought I was never going to get in to see this film, so I was getting visibly upset and you know, <laughs> teary every time we couldn't get in. But eventually we did get to one. There was one in a, in a little town called Hoy Lake, not too far away from where I grew up in the Wirral. And yeah, we went to see it there. And I found the magazine, the Ghostbusters 75p movie magazine that I got at the... Um, Oh, wow. You know, you bought the tickets because there's a bu- bunch of shit there. And there was one of them was this kind of magazine. It folded out into a big poster of Gozer and the Terror Dogs, right? Mm. And inside it had lots of facts and pictures. And found it. It's in brilliant nick. Very happy with myself. So I've got a little box just out of sight full of, not all of wow. it. Some of it's still in storage. But like all the magazines that I collected as a kid. Starburst articles. Looking magazine with real Ghostbusters. So I've got I've got this weird timeline of... of um of the memory, that bread trail of the stuff I did in the 80s when I was a big Ghostbusters fan. So, yeah, so seeing it in the cinema was... It's one of the few cinema experiences I just remember because I'm up up to the point in the book now where I'm talking about Ghostbusters 2, and I can't remember a fucking thing about it. I know I saw it in the cinema. Couldn't tell you which one. Couldn't tell you, you know, how... how, what You know, it, it was just... It's not there. It's not there in the same way. Ghostbusters just rings true. That and Back to the Future 2, I remember vividly, but only because I dropped a penny on the floor got upset, re- leaned down to get the penny, and then found seven pounding coins on the floor by my wow. feet. So it was it was a great film. <laughs> I think what you've really been able to what you've been able to illustrate, I feel there is something about Ghostbusters. I mean you saw it at the cinema. You are you are only a few mm. years older than me. I I remember really getting into the real Ghostbusters cartoon series and it became this thing where am I old enough now to see Ghostbusters, and I remember it being a really big deal. Like my parents, like it's a, it's a. I got I got genuine parental guidance to see whether or not I could see Ghostbusters. Um, oh, video to rent it. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think it was on the TV actually, and no. I think afterwards they asked me if I was okay, and I just loved everything. You know, there seems to be a lot less slimer than in the cartoon. <laughs> That's the thing, um, though, isn't it? It's like it's funny as again going through this book and writing it all out. It's funny this book is not turned out; it's not meant to be as long as it is. But like the first, literally first half of it now is going to be me from birth up to Ghostbusters two, that whole period of my life <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. But like it turned out when I was like again looking back, is that most of my memories aren't really about Ghostbusters. They're about the real Ghostbusters. Because that's mm. that's what filled that vacuum before the sequel. That's what I remember about mm. the franchise in the 80s. The film, obviously I love it, and it, I, I had it in blah, 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 blah. But I had the toys with the real Ghostbusters. There weren't no action figures based on the 84 characters. You know what I mean? It was... Yeah, the hype machine. I, vi- I vividly remember the hype machine for Ghostbusters too. And 
I mean, it's clear that the film Ghostbusters 2 is really influenced by the real Ghostbusters, you know, Ernie Hudson, mm. sports no moustache. Although he film. did say that had nothing to do with the real Ghostbusters. It oh, just really? he finished filming Leviathan or something and he had no moustache right. in that. And just like, I don't need to grow it, right? I mean, they don't, <laughs> I don't think they smoke in Ghostbusters 2. I think that's one of the major differences, but maybe yeah. I'm wrong. I remember, like, I saw that on video for the first time and I think my grandmother rented it for me we watched it together and I think when like was it Yanis as a ghost nanny grabs a screaming child from um, mm. from the window ledge of, of a building I think my, my grandma was like this is like just a she was not impressed. She says it's, like, it's an awful film. <laughs> that, that's funny as well, because that scene wasn't meant to have Peter McNichol in playing the spooky nanny. It was meant to be a proper scary animatronic demon thing that sweeps in. Mm. And they ran out of budget and time, which if you do the research on Ghostbusters 2, that's the story. They ran <laughs> out of time and money. Um, and so they couldn't realize it. So they said to Peter McNichol, put this on and just stand <laughs> over there. But there's something there's something really uncanny about that, though. And, you know, yeah. I, so I feel a lot of the time the budget, a less of a budget, makes things work better, I suppose. it's. A, I mean, it's an interesting thing, Ghostbusters 2, in many respects, because I think the film that came out was not the film any of them really wanted to make. It was mm. more about... Um, I don't want to sound like it was contractually obliged because it was a nightmare getting everyone together, but it felt like they were given, I mean, they were given like a very short time frame to make the first film. I think from like green lighting the script to release, it was under a year to get that film made and out there, which is, you know, crazy when you think mm. about it. And Ghostbusters 2, I think, had less time than that. There was a changing of the guard at Columbia Pictures, and the guy who was in there beforehand, who I've just forgotten the name of, he wanted prestige pictures to come out of Columbia all the time. I think he was, like, in charge of, like, you know, Oscar bait-type stuff to raise the mm -hmm. profile. And what happened is most of those films did do well critically, but financially were real, real problems and not very good. So when the new board came in, they were like, what have we got? Oh, we've got all these franchises. We can try a Ghostbusters 2. Let's see if that works five years later. So I get the impression once they said, can you make one quick and get it out by summer 1989? I don't think any of them really, <laughs> A, wanted to, seriously. Because there's a, there a clause that says they all, they all have to agree to do it if they're going to make mm. a second one. And Bill Murray, as you can imagine, was the prick holding everything back. <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> so once it got made after like dragging their feet and convincing Bill Murray and all the, I think they even begged Bill Murray to do it to some extent. Um, mm -hmm. I think once that happened, whatever idea they have, the script and the time frame they had meant ideas changed on the fly, things changed, revolutions changed. I mean, there's tons of deleted scenes from Ghostbusters 2 which have completely mm. different outcomes to the versions that you see in the final film. So I think it was a film trying to find something within it to make it worth its own while rather than just being a sequel but yeah. what i think is interesting like with ghostbusters 2 it's interesting despite that kind of quick turnaround that it does in a way comment a little bit about you know because the ghostbusters themselves are sort of washed up already at that point and their sort of popularity has peaked in the film there's some sort of commentary almost sort of meta commentary about ghostbusters which you know is kind of interesting that maybe that's something which you see more in you know films of of contemporary films or you know even the ghostbusters afterlife or yeah i think there's, like there's, there's there's interesting things it, it, it's weird actually ghostbusters the first film is kind of like and i it's, it's true for lots of classic films but like it's lightning in a bottle if these certain things hadn't happened at this time 
that film would not be what it is, and that's why it's unique and special, and you know you should treasure it. Mm. But with Ghostbusters two, it feels more like, right? What's what do we do? We what <laughs> should we do? You know, and there's I, I feel with Ghostbusters two, it, it shows the limitations of going into a project that way because I think one of the things that put people off Ghostbusters two and why it didn't connect as quickly as it did with fans of the original film was because they had seen what was it like six years of the real ghostbusters cartoons mm-hmm. and to some extent i think that let set up a lot of expectation of what people wanted from the second film and when they went into the second film and went oh that's nothing to do with us that stuff in fact what happened is our business closed and we're starting from scratch a lot of people felt like oh okay so it's another origin story there's another 45 minutes of them not being ghostbusters and then they're the Ghostbusters, and then you have the same montage, and then you drop in the bad guy in the last third of the film. And you just wonder, if they hadn't have gone that route, what the flavour of that film would have been more like. Actually, you've opened up a real kind of ghost, I'm going to say, keeping on theme. Um, because, I mean, I want to prefix, you know, I guess we're going to have to talk about the other two films. I'm not a fan of, of online hate or anything, so... Yeah. We're not going to slate those sequels, but I, I just want to talk about. I, they've got their they've got their moments, but I think what you've highlighted is how yeah we've never actually had a Ghostbusters uh, film where the Ghostbusters are just Ghostbusting, and yeah, like... you could argue that an intrinsic part of the first film is like the ultimate you know they're blue collar workers. It's like it's pulling themselves up by their bootstraps and they're doing their thing, but also of course. You only ever get seen do proper ghostbusting in like a montage when they're running yeah, around and being interviewed. There's, there's a novelization uh, of Ghostbusters 2, which has so many scenes of like, and it was all in the original script, like so many scenes of them doing other cases. And I was like, oh, I'd love to have seen the bit where they, I mean, you see bits of it in the montage because that's kind of where they mm. dump all that stuff. But like this, there's a scene in, um, a, there's a scene in the book where someone's getting angry because their faucets are coming out with slime. And they don't realize that as they're getting angry, ghosts are coming out the pipes. It's something like that anyway. And it was in the book, and it's kind of one of the first scenes that shows them the what's going on with the slime when they've turned up. But that's not in the film, but you kind of go, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and the jogger and all those scenes and all the kind of the Chinatown Christmas Eve stuff. It's all there in a script that was never used. It's kind of we've turned into a Ghostbusters two podcast now. It's weird though, but I do think it's like the more interesting one to talk about in many mm. respects. And I think it's the one which I guess I was most familiar with because I hadn't um, been a little bit younger. Um, I <laughs> my, my my introduction to Ghostbusters was primarily through the real Ghostbusters cartoon and particularly the toys because we had yeah we had I think we had all four main real Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters, and then we had like a couple of the special ones where um, I think like you squeeze their they're arm called, and then they're the haunted the humans. Haunted oh no, humans. screaming heroes! Screaming heroes was the Ghostbusters. The screaming yeah. we had things. Um, a skeleton, uh, a, like a highway cop who turns into yeah. a skeleton, a, a garbage man who turns into a fly. <laughs> yeah, they're the haunted like... humans, ex cop yeah. and terror trash. All right, good. Was great. Good. I had the granny one. What did the granny do? It would kind of like the whole front of her body opened up to be a big mouth. <laughs> right. I think I'm sure our grandmother would have appreciated that. That's, yeah, what, that's what my grandmother did when we were watching Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> she, her whole um, front opened up and said, this is a horrible film. Eventually, Because <laughs> I think but you know, we, ultimately, yeah. it's, it's with, with 
Ghostbusters, it's such an interesting franchise. Because when you think about it, it's not built to be a franchise, even though it kind of has the DNA to be able to do it. But fundamentally, what you're watching is a Saturday Night Live film made for a general audience, as opposed to it being R-rated. But Dan Aykroyd was also leaning on the change of taste in horror, and he was also leaning on the historical um, joy of films like The Ghost Chasers with Bob Hope and the old The Cat and the Canary and all those kind of Abbott Costello meet Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's, you know, high concept comedy. Uh, But the difference was that this had like, you know, it was it was modern blockbuster because it had the same special effects as Star Wars, the same crew of Poltergeist and things like that. Mm. So, you know, when you watch it back, it's it's interesting to watch Ghostbusters back if you've never seen it before and think of it as a gothic horror. Because when you watch it as a gothic horror and you watch it in the eyes of like, oh, this is um, Lovecraft for kids, you begin to see just how kind of clever Dan Aykroyd's turned New York City into like a gothic castle almost, you know, the the, the, mm-hmm. the, the building that it's in at the end. Is, is, he leans on the art deco nature. He leans on the different kind of architecture of New York and he builds this kind of haunted city out of the gargoyles and the things all around the towns. It's it, it's fascinating. I think it's, it's it's one of those films that is, is deeper than it potentially first looks. But also you've got to remember, it's a comedy first and foremost. It's a, it's a hangout film. And I think it's, yeah, that when you watch Ghostbusters at different eight points of your life, you get very much different things out of it, not just jokes oh, yeah. flying over your head. But last time I watched it was maybe, I think I watched it, the last time I actually watched it was probably before the 2016 uh, sort of reboot one came out. Okay. And what struck me about it was just how like weird it is. It's like a very odd film to become a sort of blockbuster in, in that respect, not just as you say, because of like the, the horror angle and the iconography and the gothic horror elements, but also just the comedy's really weird. Um, yeah. All the characters just are very odd people. Um, yeah. There's just so much which, you know, shouldn't really work, but somehow all, yeah, as you say, lightning in a bottle. Yeah. It's like treating the horror seriously, but I mean, because you mentioned, you know, you, 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 Paul, have been looking at Ghostbusters, but also ghost hunting, and I think everyone knows how Dan Aykroyd really treats the stuff seriously and he's gone further down the further down the rabbit hole um also at the same time as his uh, stock and vodka has gone up his 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 theories have also gone a bit crazy his vodka's Um, not great those theories have never really changed though they've always been there he was doing shows in the early 90s ufo shows and things like that i mean Mm. i've i want to meet him so much but part of me is like don't do that paul you'll ruin it (laughs) and you know it just but yeah, he's he's uh, I don't know. He's a big part of why I love Ghostbusters. And, yeah, you know. It... I mean, well, I mean, I was going to say perhaps why the so I mean we'll talk a bit. About, I mean, talking about Ghostbusters, let's call it Ghostbusters. Answer the call. I was and talking about what you mentioned about franchises and things. I was I couldn't wait for Answer the Call because I love Paul Feige, mm. loves everyone involved in it, um, and so I was I was shout I was ready to go for it and then i sat down and watched it and i found the comedy i found the the improvisational comedy just not landing for me um i just didn't think it was terribly funny which was very upsetting (laughs) um but maybe it was missing the dan Aykroydness of it you know it it didn't treat the science even though it's silly science it didn't try this treat the science uh seriously it's what you know what it's interesting um it all comes down to taste. Because here's the thing, right? It's like, 
I'm a huge defender of Ghostbusters Answer the Call. It's it was one of my real seriously most favourite cinema experiences in my later oh, age. I'm really happy to hear that because <laughs> I see all of its flaws. I really do. I'm not here to change anyone's minds on Ghostbusters Answer the Call, but for me it was like okay, so I saw Ghostbusters and it was revolutionary to me, and then I saw Ghostbusters two and I realised all right they don't have any ideas, but it's nice to hang out with these characters. And so yeah. what I took away from answer the call is yeah i kind of wish they'd kept more to the script because there's some damn good lines in the script and some of that improvisation does make some of the scenes flag and there's oh it's it's a big topic for me answer the call because i love it but i don't want to change anyone's minds about it no i think my reaction was more like i I get if people don't like it because this is not dan Aykroyd's ghostbusters this is not ivan reitman's ghostbusters this is this is paul feig's ghostbusters and importantly katie tippold as well who co-wrote it and she is a massive spooky fan she knows her ghost law and um paul feig likes his science and so like you look at the backstage stuff and like he really got like proper nuclear scientists to come in and work on the equipment i think the passion was there i think it's ultimately tone if you don't like the tone of the film you're not going to like the film and that's perfectly valid I i was really upset though i mean again though i didn't click with it you know the film ends i'm like okay They've they've introduced these new Ghostbusters. Let's have a ghost. I was looking forward to a Ghostbusters sequel. Mm. And so I actually, I felt really kind of a bit aggrieved that they did like Afterlife, you know, kind of because it felt a bit like a, um, you know, a whole like the Rise of Skywalker situation. It's like the fans apparently didn't well, like this, it. This is where I get contentious, right? Because I go for it, man. So here's the thing. <laughs> Ghostbusters, the answer the call, Fallout, whatever. It, it, it's it's interesting because a lot of people will like lump it in with the Total Recall reboot and things like that. But actually, I disagree. I think people are going to be talking about answer the call what, because of what happened to it culturally, because of what happened to the mm. cast, because of what was happening in geek culture then about going woke and broke and all that shit. There's so much about that film that is part of the pop culture kind of discourse now that I don't think you're going to forget about it in the same way people forget about the Robocop reboot. Because until I just mentioned it now, not a lot of people remember that existed, <laughs> right? But, well, I'll say films like Robocop and Total Recall mainly exist to disappoint me when I'm searching the EPG yeah. on my telly. Hey, Robocop's... No. No, it's that one with Samuel L. Jackson in, which doesn't make sense. All right. Um, but it's like, so, no, so here's the thing with Answer the Call. I, I love the iconography of it. I love the palette of it. I love the score. I think if only they trusted the script more, mm. it might have been better received because I, you know, I think a lot of people come away loving the characters but wishing they were better served. Um, and I think the film falls down when it gets too near to Ghostbusters 84. Because up until then, there's lots of stuff that it's doing that the original first two films didn't show you. It didn't show you them testing the equipment, honing the equipment, figuring mm. it out. And also, they do the one thing that Ghostbusters have never done. And it's bizarre until you say it out loud. But they bust ghosts in it. In the first two films, <laughs> no ghost is actually busted. They're just trapped or sent back to another dimension, yeah. right? Whereas in this, they develop films that destroys them and turns them into ectoplasmic components. They have a ghost chipper and a hand grenade and all these kind of interesting equipment. And that was the other thing. It was like, oh, all these toys. It was like, to me, it was like sparking all these things I wish Ghostbusters 2 had had. So all that being said, Fallout, people hate it, whatever. That's their opinion. Just don't tell me mine's wrong, right? That's the bottom line. Yeah, of course. I mean, I mean, Rory's been quite quiet because he hates women. And so... Um... Yeah, well, I didn't <laughs> want to bring that up. We've heard the rumours on Twitter. No, I... 
I, I agree. Like, um, yeah, the film didn't work for me, but I, I would have wanted to see the adventures of those characters. I wanted to see yeah. them continue and I wanted to see, you know, more of them, but in a film I enjoyed more. Because yeah. I, and I, got... I didn't have any issue with the characters and, you know, the intention. It was more, yeah, just the, the execution. Yeah, again, if you don't click with it, you're going to hate it. And I think that's what the problem is because, you know, people connected so quickly with the original film that you're always chasing that dragon. And if you go into any film, really, with that kind of, you know, thought, you're going to be disappointed. I got fired after years, years of hard work and ass-kissing. God, I've kissed so many different kinds of asses. Aaron, we're sorry that you lost your job, but, I mean, there is kind of a glasses half-full aspect of it. I mean, we saw a real ghost, you know, and she was beautiful. Till she dislocated her jaw and ecto-projected all over you. Yeah, that stuff went everywhere, by the way, in every crack. But I got to say, even that was kind of spectacularly beautiful. I did detect a heavy ionization discharge. I mean, I could smell it. A full torso transmogrification with a corporeal aggression. I mean, how often does that happen? I mean, they want us to be quiet about that. We are not going to be quiet about that. Because it's not just us. We have over 100 comments already. And they're not all crazies. Come here. I want to show you this. Read that. Ain't no bitches gonna hunt no ghosts. Oh, no, no, okay. The one, the one below it. This woman is describing a class three haunting in her house. She can't just move. She can't call the police. She can't call her friends. Who's she gonna call? So, <laughs> when we get to afterlife, this is where well, just, I really like... Just, just to interrupt you just for a moment, like, yeah. I guess what I'm asking, well, it's interesting to ask, and maybe we can Wrong. think about this, is, like... Can Ghostbusters exist without the four boys, like the four... This is the problem. The cast. This is the (laughs) core problem of the whole franchise. Because if you want to boil down the problem of Ghostbusters to one point, it's the fact that it seems to not be able to exist without them. But if you put them back in it now, it's kind of sad and pathetic. (laughs) And if they'd had another sequel earlier or Mm. another sequel after Ghostbusters 2 a few years later, we might have had enough time on the clock to bring in other characters and develop the thing. But mm. we now see that as appropriate because we've got, a, you know, an 80-year-old Indiana Jones or, you know, Bruce Willis was banging out doing diehards and Arnold still throwing cars around in the air. We have this ex- <laughs> ex- this expectation that we don't want our heroes to die, right? We want to see them carry on. So what made Ghostbusters good isn't fair to say it was just the cast because the whole alchemy of the thing is important. Mm. But, like, what people take away from that film outside of the iconography, is Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis, Ernie Hudson, right? Because they love those characters. And then you have seasons and seasons of the animated show where you're with those characters growing and you're finding out more about them and what makes them tick. And even though it diverges in very PG-friendly ways to a kid audience, you know, you do get to see a bit more about them. With that being said, they can't run the franchise forever. And if you need to hand it on, you kind of need to hand it on in universe but that was never a problem in films with just sequels now they're universes now they're fucking multiverses and it's getting to the point now where it's like original tales are harder to tell because people are afraid to tell them because they're afraid they won't get attached to the idea or the characters so let's grandfather in like if it's, it's basically like saying oh you don't like me well if i get my dad to vouch for me maybe you'll <laughs> like me then because my dad's on tv you know so it's like if you have the original <laughs> ghostbusters there to kind of tip the hat then there's a sense of oh well maybe they they're good then but that's the sort of shame with these with these uh you know legacy sequels as they as they have been um 
portmanteaued yeah um called is that um say it's whether it's the force awakens whether it's it's ghostbusters afterlife i'm i'm enjoying the film up until the point they have to bring back the old cast I'm, you know what i'm I mean? enjoying the new cast so much and then they have of, to one of them cgi <laughs> in an entirely respectful way are we talking about no no i'm, I'm you know i'm talking about you know the, the new cast i'm enjoying the new adventures of All right, yeah. the, the fresh guard but because they have to do the you know the torch handover to the old guard in some respects whether it's whether it's the you know new star wars trilogy yeah. or whether it's this it's like it's a shame that they don't feel confident enough to just tell the story Without, I, mean, the, I, I would argue the biggest problem with pop culture today, if I put my old man hat on, is that <laughs> too many I podcasts. Think, no, can't, we, it doesn't matter about too many podcasts. Christ, I, I feel we need one more conversation about the last, the last Jedi. I'm going to put that in the end there as a bonus. But you know what I would say about the last Jedi? If you sat Ryan Johnson down and said, "Do you like your film?" I bet he'd say, "Yeah." But if you sat J.J. Abrams down and say, oh, so what about Rise of the Skywalker? He'd say, oh, we'd have some problems and fan expectation was this. You know, I get the impression that he wouldn't have the same conviction of that film. And I think, mm. you know... <laughs> it's a very compromised film, that third Star Wars I, film. I just but, don't yeah. like legacy stuff, I think. Sure. Because I think the older I've gotten, the more I've realised what I don't like is seeing old shit made new. I like seeing new shit. That surprises me. Like... Knives Out was one of my favourite films of the last five years. I adore that film. Yes, it's tropey and it's murder mystery, but like I hadn't seen that character before. I love that dialogue. Everything Everywhere All at Once blew my mind. It's like, please give me more of this, please. Yeah. Because yeah. I I know it doesn't always land, but God bless a man for trying to just do, <laughs> just do something new that connects. Yeah, my favourite kind of film is, is um, like... Oh, uh, well, what would you call it? <laughs> <laughs> like, like reaching, reaching, re, you know, um, reaching beyond it, you know, it's grabbing for fun its reach. What would you call it? Uh, uh, its reach exceeds its grasp. Re reach exceeds its grasp, or or something which is considered like a a a messy failure, like anything where like there are, a review comes in and they give it a sort of begrudging two stars. And saying it's like a missed opportunity. It's just like, oh, I'm on board for this because clearly they will have done something or tried something, and mm. you know maybe I'll it will click with me more than whoever you know. Sometimes, it. sometimes a, a a flop can be somebody's favorite film, and actually that's the whole point we do this podcast, Paul, is because you know we our podcast is about movies based on video games which have a pretty bad rap, but mm. we always say these people have made films, and we're here just talking about them. So there's that. And secondly, you know, sometimes we do find diamonds in the rough and well, I mean, and some great ideas. I would say YouTube culture has has bred this kind of, um, I, I didn't even know how to phrase this, but like, you know, there are so many YouTube channels, most noticeably maybe Red Letter Media, who celebrate bad B-movies, movies that are dirt, movies that should never have been seen by human eyes. But for some reason now they get 4K resolution transfers onto Blu-ray discs. <laughs> or, you know, and it's like, why... I mean, don't get me wrong, I love Killer Clowns from Outer Space. This is not a great example, but part of my brain is like, who the fuck wants Killer Clowns on Blu-ray? You know, but, <laughs> but I do. And so I'm, I'm glad that it exists and it's got tons of extras. But like, there's a lot of this sense of, there are certain bad films, culturally, pop culturally, we can all gang on. 
But there are some mm. bad films, pop culturally, we can all go, yeah, isn't The Room great? No, it's not. I don't know why people celebrate that film. It's like toxic poison to my eyes. And the fact that this guy got a career out the back of it makes my piss boil. But... <laughs> Well, again, I think it's, it's what we mentioned is, is these people reaching for the stars and, and just not quite having the talent mm. to get there. I am still waiting for like that news report from Tommy Wiseau to come and to find out how he got his money. And I'm sure there's some really dodgy backstory. But until that time, until I will celebrate time. the room. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> should, we, should we talk about video games? Oh, well, <laughs> can we tell you just very briefly my thoughts on Afterlife? Yep. Yeah. No, let's um, hear it. Um, I'll keep it brief because I I get into trouble every time I voice my opinion on Afterlife and a lot of previous people who uh, followed me Ghostbuster fans on uh, Twitter now (laughs) don't Um, I hated it with all (laughs) my heart and it it was one of these things where it broke my heart to feel that because I remember having to the call defending that when all the shit was going on writing articles blah 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 and then to see myself in the position of going, oh, I hate this. But trying to at least express why I hate it without, you know, vindictive language, without hateful language. Because I don't think the film is quote unquote bad. What I think it is, is insecure and uh, lazy. And that's okay, what yeah. gets me about it. Because I'm not... But this is what stri- the fans wanted. No, but this is the thing. It's directed by Jason Reitman, the, the son. This- it's his birthright. Yeah, and that's that's the issue I've brought up with some friends who agree with me on this, is that I always go, when did Ghostbusters go from being a Dan Aykroyd passion project based on his love and his in you know, his love of supernatural ghost hunting and all this? And when did it become a Reitman heirloom to the franchise and to <laughs> Sony? Because I, I hate to say this, but I honestly don't think Jason Reitman and Gil uh what's his name, Keenan, who wrote the script, mm-hmm. know anything about Ghostbusters other than the iconography of it. Because I could get really nerdy and tell you why throughout the whole of the film the plot doesn't work, the characters don't work, why the Zool plot doesn't work, why Gozer makes no sense in this film. Hey, but why, there's tiny stuff, Stay Puff Marshmallow guys for some why reason. Why that turns up again <laughs> for no real reason. Why the last 30, 40 minutes of the film is a Stranger Things remake of the original <laughs> movie. And yet, and yet, I need to express that. I think McKenna Grace is amazing in that film. She is the mm. single thing that makes that film work. If there's any reason to watch that film, it's McKenna Grace, right? Podcast, the character grew on me, but it still makes no sense. And, (laughs) you know, Paul Rudd, if the the fact that they didn't put Paul Rudd in a proton pack in that film is absolutely fucking disgusting. So hopefully (laughs) they correct that for the sequel. But there are things I like about it. It's just when I came away from that film, I was like, who is this for? The only thing I could think of is this film must be for people our age who want their kids to like this film now well i think it's just systemic as as i mentioned like i was i was um down on ghostbusters answer the call but i wasn't a hater and i want you know i wanted sequels and like the rise of skywalker i feel these films are like this is what the fans want we've heard you Mm. um but also as you say with the whole jason uh reitman of it all again it felt a bit like how the aliens films were kind of idiosyncratic and that was a different director for every film and then it sort of yeah. became ridley scott's nest egg with prometheus and the other one i can't remember <laughs> well, the, the funny thing about right the reitman i say family jason and ivan reitman is that ivan reitman when you look at his films don't aren't particularly filmic 
Ivan Reitman's gift is he's amazing at corralling talent. He knows exactly the right cast cast to get, exactly how to get the right performances out of them, how to make everyone feel comfortable. He it's like he knows how to achieve the writer's vision or the vision that's been put out by the film. But what he's not is visual. And I think Ghostbusters 84 is like the anomaly in that. It's like the exception that proves the rule in that when you mm. watch that, it's beautifully framed. There's some really dynamic shots in it. It's gorgeous. When you look at Ghostbusters 2, and there's a different cinematography involved, it looks like a sitcom. It's flat, yeah. it's pastely, it reeks of 89, but there's also, it's lacking that. And Ivan, uh, Jason Reitman's the same. A lot of his films aren't visual, you know, they're character-based, they're script-based. And so to see him try to affect something his dad couldn't really do is interesting. But also, he's basically making a Spielberg film. He's not making a mm. Ghostbusters movie. He's kind of making Super 8, but with ghosts. Yeah, and there's a there's a lot of, you can see a lot just how... I think every piece of Ghostbusters iconography gets a very lingering, long shot, just like we have to see their jumpsuits yeah. in sort of close-up. We have to see every, you know, bit of gadget. And reuse the to... score to yeah, remind you yeah. emotionally how to feel about this scene. And I, I, here's, I, I, I've always said, well, what would you do? I was like, I would keep the exact same thing. All I would do is, is take out Gozer completely in the Terror Dogs and replace it with a brand new villain. That's all I'd say you'd need to do to change that film and make me just not bleed piss you know so <laughs> but that might, him... that, that might have been i mean the tag at the end of ghostbusters off um answer the call is like they're listening down some headphones and go like what is the gozer see and like but that's a cute that's... little easter egg you know it's not like the yeah. basis of the last 45 minutes of your film no, and that's, so that's and so it's just that if they had given them mckenna grace and those ghostbusters a unique villain to them that would define their adventure it, otherwise, it feels like mopping up the failure of the original four Ghostbusters and making Egon come across as a yeah. strange, hateful, antisocial human. I don't... Uh, we'll move on to games. I've done me bit. <laughs> That's just me. If you liked it, great. I'm not here to tell you you're wrong. I'm just here to say, I don't think I'll ever watch that film again. Well, I, I, I think, think that... the sequel's good, though. I will say that. I hope the sequel's good. I don't. Yeah. I'm not pissing on that. I hope they pull out all the stops for it and they give them a, their own unique adventure and don't give them Vigo two again. <laughs> oh my God! Can you imagine I'll be Vigo? Jason yeah. Veitman's mentioned it. He said they they were toying with the idea, oh, and I was like, don't. <laughs> exactly. Give them some. Give us something new. Right. Speaking games. Of things new, games. Endless, oh. endless games based on IP. <laughs> Inevitably, with Ghostbusters, I think because we've mentioned in terms of how it became, you know, whether it was intentional or not, it became a sort of unlikely mega IP, mm. this sort of mega franchise, and as a result, you get a lot of merchandise which comes out of it because it has all this very clear iconography with its logo. Obviously, mm. it has the Ray Parker Jr. song, which you know became sort of omnipresent, and it's sort of one of the only songs that you can ever play at Halloween because you don't really get too many Halloween pop songs. There's obviously like yeah. the Monster Mash. Monster Mash. And then there's Michael Jackson's thriller. 
for and of course you've got someone's watching over me by rockwell yeah yeah which is funny enough sung by jacko uh, <laughs> there's a great song um, called amateurville house on the hill which which got to like 15 in the charts in the uk which is a kind of really? weird spooky rap thing about the haunted house amateurville Okay. Um, Somebody pointed out people were genuinely murdered in the actual Amityville house, and then this yeah. year sees the release of Amityville in space on direct to yeah. video. And I'm yeah. like, okay. Very yeah, that, that, that taste, that respect for the source has long since been shut out. <laughs> <laughs> Again, but, if, if you think too much about Ghostbusters, you go down the path of like, so are they actually eliminating your dead relatives here? Is that, is that what's yeah. happening? Does Dan Aykroyd the... really want to be sucked off by a ghost? <laughs> that's definitely that's which, it... some, something which went over my head yeah. as a kid. Maybe until I was like a twin in my twenties. I thought she was tickling him. I thought it was all a tickle <laughs> game. So, and you know, in some respects, it was. So, <laughs> yeah, just a different response after the end of all that tickling. Yeah. Um, but so Ghostbusters, yeah, like it's this, it's this merchandise machine. Um, and actually, going back to Ghostbusters too. One of the things we had was the comic book, which used the real Ghostbusters cartoon characters, mm. um, but telling was, the story um, of the Ghostbusters two film, right? Yeah, it was a Marvel Comics adaptation of Ghostbusters two, but with the characters, the the character designs of the real Ghostbusters, and it included some of the deleted scenes you mentioned. Yeah. I think famously yeah, yeah, yeah. Ray becomes possessed by Goza, sorry, uh, Vigo, and Vigo. starts driving around town. I have a distinct memory, though. This is the most shameful thing. Um, it was my birthday party. I got that comic from a friend, and I got all my friends together, having opened all my presents, and I told them, this Ghostbusters comic was the best present I got. What, <laughs> what a bastard! What a horrible... It was true, though, right? Yeah. <laughs> It so was, there you go, don't worry about it. It was <laughs> really nice. I still have it to this day. Yeah, I've still got uh, mine, funnily enough. I found mine in a double H Smiths in nineteen ninety and I was happy as lamb. It's, it's, it was quality. Me. It was quality. It's funny um, though, the Ghostbusters comic book, because it, it was a Marvel UK thing. It was never an American. Uh, or we lost oh, we've lost Rory. He'll be back. But it was never it was like the, the UK Marvel made the Ghostbusters comics, and as a result, that's why it's got a lot of weird British kind of affectations to it i've got an annual one somewhere around here with a whole ghostbusters annual it's about the the uk adventures of the real ghostbusters going to stonehenge and some castle in scotland and stuff oh, that's brilliant yeah so, so have you, know, you have you read the um idw ghostbusters comics mm, yeah i love them because those i think did a really good job of doing what we were hoping which is just showing the ghostbusters being a franchise as in yeah. they franchise the ghostbusters out and they, they did wonders with that comic series because i know initially there was a run in the early 2000s by 88 miles per hour comics and they did a very i'm not gonna say adult but it you know it was mm -hmm. kind of like following on from the 84 film and this that and the other and it was kind of about a guy who knew them at university and was rejected and was meant to be a ghostbuster but didn't get the chance to so he's summoning some demon and that was interesting. And then when the IDW stuff came out and you started realizing, oh, they're taking a bit of Ghostbusters too. Here's a bit of extreme Ghostbusters in there as well. Here's a bit of this. And it was like, oh, this is what I wish Ghostbusters 2 had been, where you get to see them as a business and dealing with like town planners and Walter Peck being in charge of the Ghostbusters kind of like, uh, like just part of their group because he has to look after them and you know protect them from all the damage that they do. And it's just like, oh, 
I would love to have seen that. Well, I mean, Ghostbusters Afterlife does seem to imply that the Ghostbusters are starting up again. There's that weird joke because they, they talk about how the Ghostbusters Firehouse is like a Starbucks or something. But then it's subways. Not. And then, yeah, so they obviously do know. And then when we see it at the end, it's not. So they don't know what it's, the hell they're talking about. We're, get, we're getting pulled back in again into the into like why the was the, Why was the ecto-containment system off or running out of power, even though Winston says earlier in the day he's been paid? Why would you put a Starbucks over the ecto-containment unit? How they get pumpkin <laughs> spice. That's how we oh, make it. <laughs> more valid excuse than any, I think. Um <laughs> But yeah, we lost Rory for a moment there. We're talking about the Ghostbusters 2 kind of merchandising thrust. And I think my my first interaction, my first interaction with Ghostbusters video games was actually an LCD game. I want to say it's a Tiger game, but it's not. It's actually called um, a pack-in video game. Right. Um, it actually has like a very distinctive controller. It basically looks like a NES controller on the bottom half and the top half is like the Ghostbusters 2 logo. That's another weird thing about Ghostbusters 2. They, they, the business comes back, but the ghost does the peace symbol. I never understood I am that. literally talking to my friend about this at the moment because I'm at the part of the book of Ghostbusters 2 in my book. And I asked my mate Anthony, because my mate Anthony um, Bueno, he directed Cleaning Up the Town, the Ghostbusters doc- documentary that mm. came out on Blu-ray uh, a year mm-hmm. or so ago. And he's currently working on Ghostbusters 2. And I asked him this and I went, whose idea was the logo? And he went, don't know because it wasn't in the <laughs> script it wasn't in dan Aykroyd's script apparently for ghostbusters 2 that logo but it was designed by michael c gross who designed the original logo but i don't understand mm. how that worked I, anyway he's going to find out for me because conceptually you're right it makes no sense if coca-cola closed tomorrow they wouldn't bring back coca-cola <laughs> and you business with a two in the logo and a happy you know they wouldn't maybe <laughs> coca-cola too and also if you look at the bottom of the like in the, the original Ghostbusters logo, the classic, the ghost seems to be coming out of the, the stop sign, no symbol. But mm. here he's just like a single foot. Anyway, I've sent you via the chat um, the eBay link to the Ghostbusters game we have or had on sale. It's a really expensive one. For yeah. the low, low price of £675. <laughs> there is another Ghostbusters LCD game that isn't that. But no. uh, that is, I'll never pay money for that. That's disgusting. I wonder if they've ever sold for that much, though. Well, I in my research, so you don't know how you get these because I don't know remember how we got this game. But I've read that the one I played or we owned is like a Japan exclusive, and I don't know anyone from Japan, so maybe some sort of random toy shop went on a shopping trip and came back got a lot of yeah maybe. games. But um, it was kind of I mean I wanted to bring this up. I think Pac Man is pretty much a Ghostbusters game, and so you yeah <laughs> the, the LCD. <laughs> The LCD version I had was basically Pac-Man, but just very badly done because, I mean, I actually tried, there's a few, you can get these LCD games, you can play them on on a browser. I was trying to find it to send it over to you guys. I only managed to find like a version of GoldenEye uh, to play on my on my keyboard and they're just, they're just unplayable nowadays. I can't believe we'd pay cash money and play these LCD games and have fun. 
Yeah. Uh, but they, the Tiger games were always, I mean, all those pocket games were just there to give parents something to give their kids when they couldn't afford mm. a Nintendo, which, you know, is valid. As, oh, I've just seen the one I've got, but it was a real Ghostbusters game, not Ghostbusters 2. That's the mistake I was making. And that was literally just like Space Invaders, where you had your Proton stream and you had to jump left to mm. right and catch the ghosts as they came down the screen at you. So, I mean, I guess that sort of talks about like how you make a Ghostbusters game because if you look at the film, um, the mechanics are sort of there in a, in, and it's just how you apply that to a game because obviously lots of games are about shooting things. Mm. Um, but as has been established, the Ghostbusters don't actually do much busting unless it's the answer to the call. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's about the sort of the gimmick and how you apply that in a video game setting. And obviously, you know, the games that were coming out at the time of the first two movies, fairly limited in terms of what they could achieve. Mm. But I think possibly the most notable one was New Ghostbusters 2. On which Game Boy and NES. Yeah, yeah, because that was developed by Howe Laboratory. And one of the actual programmers um, was Satoru Iwata. Oh, right. The um, dearly departed yeah. head of nintendo because he was a programmer working for house so that was one of his early jobs was working on this ghostbusters 2 game that which game apparently is pretty no, playable it's really good that was like the first i mean i had a few ghostbusters games as a kid like obviously everyone remembers the shitty amstrad or whatever your home computer version was you know where it's a top-down grid of new york you wait for a building to flash you go down there you set two traps you try and cap you know what i mean it's like it was dull it's not mm. a fun game and it was not meant think- to be a ghostbusters game it was just kind of give it a patch job <laughs> but like that, that like, remade recently is that remade was it I don't god i think I hope you, not. you know how somebody remades like the hitchhikers go to the galaxy game with advanced graphics i think it was like that so the gameplay is exactly the same ah. it just looks a bit prettier i'll have a look at that because unfortunately like there is a logic to that game but it doesn't give you many clues as to how to figure that logic out and it just becomes a very dreary game if you don't know what you're doing and also from system to system that game's rules bend so what happens in the nes version doesn't necessarily happen on the amstrad cpc for whatever but i do remember playing new ghostbusters 2 because there was yes there was already a ghostbusters game out for the nes and that game stands up i think it's a real fun game and if it wasn't for the fact that it's a little bit monotonous after the second stage I think that it's, that's a prime version to remake that and give it some real depth and new equipment and mix it up because it kind of worked like cannon fodder, didn't you? Where you move the two characters around at the same time, but A, fired the proton beam and B, released the trap. So it was kind mm. of like cannon fodder in that respect where A and B did the thing. Well, certainly for the Game Boy cannon fodder. I get. I realise that's my only frame of reference, which is kind of pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and that's a really good game. One that I would happily see remade. What mm. other games have you played? Because I mentioned there's such an exhaustive list, but you know we they're they're either kind of platform shooters or mm. um, like puzzle games. Bizarrely, there's quite a few puzzle games like Bubble Bobble style games. Yeah, there was that. Um, there was there was that one that was a patch of was it Magic Castle that Bugs Bunny's Magic Castle, which was remade as Garfield, which was remade as real Ghostbusters, because the exact same game, but you swapped out Garfield for Peter Venkman. Yeah, and he eats so much lasagna, does Peter Venkman <laughs> wow. in that game. Uh, and he hates Who that dog. Who could imagine that? 
<laughs> you can oh, imagine that God, yeah. Peter Venkman and Garfield could be played by the same actor. Yeah. That's one of the beautiful things about the universe <laughs> is that when you go, oh yeah, so the guy who did Peter Venkman in the cartoon series also voiced Garfield, and then the movie version of Garfield is Bill Murray. Blah blah blah. The circle is complete, right? You yeah. got that going on. But like, I do remember I had the Amstrad version, the one that most people remember growing up, the the dreary one. Uh, I did my I my friend had the original NES Ghostbusters game where you swung down the rope and you collected the slime off the floor and then you had the, a weird shoot up level with the Statue of Liberty where you're kind of going from <laughs> left to right shooting slime out. Anyway, <laughs> awful. Uh, I had Ghostbusters 2 on the game. And, and I just I just notably as well that in Ghostbusters 2 they control the Statue of Liberty with a NES yeah. arcade stick. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's one of those scenes where you think, I know what you were going for, mate, but this was fucking bonkers. <laughs> I don't know why you thought this was a good idea, but okay. Well, again, um, Ghostbusters from the first film onwards exists in this bizarre universe where the afterlife or an afterlife has proven to be real. And everyone's like, cool, cool, cool with that. And then like 36 years later in the Ghostbusters afterlife, we're like, don't even think about it. No, they even said that. In Everyone, everyone's everyone's forgotten. No, I know. And Ghostbusters 2 is like, oh, yeah, no, we forgot about that. It's like, really? It's only five years ago. You don't remember that massive marshmallow man stomping through downtown New York. All right, then. If, if somebody stopped the apocalypse, like, I, you know, if somebody stopped 9 11, you would be like, I'll give you more than five years of my attention. Yeah, I think... right. You really would. If, if, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, we blew up the Death Star. Oh, but what are you going to do next? What do you mean I've just blown up the Death Star? <laughs> I deserve, like, some leniency. But that's a perennial sequel problem, isn't it? Because your characters reach, like, their best selves or, you know, everything's happy. And then they have to, like, make The Force Awakens. Yeah. <laughs> but again, it goes back to Ghostbusters 2, where it's basically an origin story again. Mm. And, and answer the cause, an origin story. And Afterlife is an origin story. It's like, can we have a sequel that is just the next story then, please? That would be lovely. I think, I know we're all fans here, but I think when people are like getting really worried about Ghostbusters answer the call, I was trying to remind you, remember the Ghostbusters franchise is 50% good Ghostbusters movies. So like I say that about it, Star Wars as well. I say, oh, you know, Star much. Wars is, is one and a half good movies and the rest is debatable <laughs> tra- crap. But, you know, that's just me. That is just me. But yeah, I, I, I do think Ghostbusters 2 gave us the best games, though. Certainly at yes. the time. Um, and I then, think it was riding then, the wave, wasn't it, of, of just 80s game design. Yeah, and I had I think I had that Game Boy Advance Extreme Ghostbusters one, which was, you know, it's a th- you know, the side jumpy scrolly thing. Mm-hmm. And I played mm-hmm. the arcade game, and that's just balls. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Not there as an arcade game. But then yeah, I mean, but then there wasn't really much of anything really until uh the early uh, what was that 2008 game whenever it was that came out the one uh, for the Xbox. I and... I literally thought it was a few years ago but then I remember that was the remaster. Uh, yeah, yeah, 2009. Hey, it's the new cadet. Welcome aboard. This might be a little dangerous. Great. Danger is our life. We'll start at 50% capacity. That should keep any burning or tissue damage to a minimum. Hey, if you're going to burn any tissue, do it to the new kid. You can't use Ray. Our mortgage is in his name. I guess he's right. What's your name again, kid? No names, Ray. I don't want to get too attached to this kid. You know, just in case. <laughs> you remember what happened to the last guy. I was working at Sony at that point, funnily enough. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, and there was... <sighs> This is what I'm going to say. 
because I've only worked from inside of Sony Pictures UK, and it wasn't in any important departments. Like the department I worked in was a. Uh, the distribution of the film stock around the world. So when the film was finally locked into an edit, it was my job to make sure these cans got around the world to premieres and things like that. Um, so when the game was announced, Sony were kind of like, Ugh, we're not all that bothered. And it was strange to see Sony not give a shit at that point. But <laughs> what, what about Paul? When you're there and you're like, your boiler out, boiler suit from Ghostbusters and your, you know, keyboards but haven't they released the ghostbusters design keyboards just recently yes they did yeah and i want one because that's kind of cool <laughs> i thought that looked really nice they have they have you over a barrel but anyway yeah. but it'll probably be a piece of shit like most ghostbusters mer- like most merchandise full stop is crap yeah you know what sure, i mean sure. oh no don't I'll i'm, a, get I'm a massive trekkie and right now the star trek store the official star trek store is pimping t-shirts which say the enterprise is landing and i'm like no. What is the most famous thing about Star Trek? It's beaming. What the hell is this? What are you Don't. talking about? <laughs> I, I saw the new trailer for Picard Series 3 and I was like, wow, a lot of cocaine's made that season of Star Trek. <laughs> a lot of cocaine. Sorry, we call it Space Dust. Don't know what you're talking about. Right, fair <laughs> so, yeah, so that 2009 game came out. And I, inf- I, so at the time, I was flat sharing with a bunch of friends and I had a Wii and my mate had an Xbox so I got the Wii version of that Ghostbusters game and he got the Xbox one and the Xbox one looks better is better cutscenes there's more of a complete story in it um I would argue the Wii one's better to play though and much more fun to play and it's a shame that that game's kind of been forgotten because that Wii version is a lot of fun particularly because of the Wii remote controls yeah yeah and you get to play as a female Ghostbuster in that, which no other version of exactly. it allowed you to do. It's weird. Um, I think, I think, yeah, when I was uh, deciding to play one of the old games, because obviously the remastered game came out, I didn't play either game at the time of release. And I thought, I'm going to go for the Wii one, because the remastered one will be just based on the Xbox yeah. 360 version. And I always kind of gravitate towards, I mean, at the time, Wii maybe have been dismissed as, oh, this is very gimmicky. Mm. But now it's like, well, actually, if you go back and play the game on the console that's intended, you're going to be playing, you know, a version of the game which is not possible to port necessarily mm. to, you know, future consoles or anyone will try. And yeah, it's a more yeah. kind of cartoony version of it. But I'm having a fun time. I've played, I've just defeated Spoilers um, Stay oh. Puffed. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, that's quite a I think that's game, sort then. of the, yeah, I I didn't I haven't played it very much. Oh, but, that's good um, enough. Because we get to the spider, the T Rex fights, and they're all lots of fun. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I guess I'll thing. carry on playing then. Yeah. No, do because I I generally think it's a fun game to play. Because here's the thing: I I got I I played it on the 360, and I got it for the Switch again recently. Because why not, right? Because I don't have an Xbox. It's good to get that version of the game, and I've still got my Wii U, and I can play that version that you've got there anytime mm-hmm. I want. But when I was playing the uh, the home console version. I found it really cumbersome to play because, you know, you've got... I tend to have a problem full stop with 360 games. The best example is is I could dive into a Zelda top-down and demolish it, but you put me in Ocarina of Time or Breath of the Wild and I get lost and it's frightening and I don't like the geography (laughs) of everything. And so when you've got that going on in that game and you've got the controls and you've got to switch between different types of proton packs and then ghosts are swirling around, it's kind of hard to make the mechanics seem fluid, it always seems like you're fighting the game to make it work when you kind of wish it even had, I kind of wish it had auto locking on, on that version. Mm. But you play the Wii version and effectively 
there you go. You move around with your with your nunchuck. You go forwards, backwards, and then the Wii does all the hard work of moving around the room and pointing it to grab a ghost, and you slamming it around, and then the uh, the the uh, the D button, you know, swaps your messages at the click of a thumb. And it's like, wow, this is really intuitive and easy to play, and it seems like the flow is better. It still has a few of its own mm. problems, but like the actual mechanics flow better with the touchscreen than it does with the control. So, yeah, yeah. And I, I think I think just having the yeah, it's it's one of those things where with the Wii, like any kind of light gun style thing or anything where you have it to, you know, literally mm. point at what you want to what shoot at. Yeah. Um, yeah, works perfectly for that. And I guess, the you know, the main notable thing about the game was the fact that it was co-written by Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis. Yeah. And that, you know, at the time, at least, they were sort of billing this as, you know, the closest you could get to Ghostbusters 3, just like... Um, you know, the Evil Dead Hail to the King video yeah, was the right. closest thing you could get to Evil Dead 4 until Ash versus Evil Dead, you know. It, and it's fun, isn't time, it? Anyway. Because it's weirdly like we did feel like that was the only, that's the only thing we were going to get. Mm. And to some mm. extent, you could argue they're right, it is the last real Ghostbusters product. I still because have... they're all in it. I'm I'm more, more familiar with the 360 version. I remember it's interesting you said that you're, did you say you're working for Sony at the time? Uh, I was, yeah, because I think the Blu-ray had been released and stuff, so not Blu-ray. I, like I remember, I remember there was some real weird licensing issue where the game didn't get released in the UK for ages, so they made the Xbox 360 version like region free, so you could buy it and play it AOK yeah. from like Canada. But um, yeah, the big deal, the big deal of these games was the cast came back, the entire cast came back, and they were doing their lines. But we touched upon this a bit with the cast appearing in Ghostbusters Afterlife. In Ghostbusters, the 2009 games, they do, do is it voice likknesses in the Wii no, version? All, oh, no, they're okay. all, I think it's the same same cast. It's, it's the, the same, same cast for both games, for the, yeah. so the Wii version and the Xbox version. But the only difference is that yeah, the, the scenes are shorter and the, 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 some of the plots skipped over and things and some set pieces are missing, but it's basically the same story. Yeah, and I think they because they're using the same dialogue as well. I was playing as as the female character, but then um, some of the Ghostbusters referred to me as he because <laughs> I guess they didn't bother yeah. to record a she version, yeah. assuming that you just picked the male character. Well, at least um, they did something. They didn't just say, "Oh, we're Assassin's Creed. We can't possibly model a female version of this character. <laughs> Couldn't possibly." <laughs> I, I imagine like Bill Murray running into the office, into the recording studio, like crushing the clown style, and like when he's recording the voice for his doll or whatever, and he's like he's in there for like three seconds and disappears, and they're not even ready to set up the recording. There's there's interesting uh, interviews online about that because the creators of the game said of all the people they worked with, Bill Murray was just the most difficult. He he would sometimes deliver a good performance, and then there were some days he couldn't be reached when he was meant to be in a recording studio because he was playing golf or something. And then there were some days where he came in and just didn't give a fuck and mumbled his lines and then left. And you can hear it in the game. There are some mm. scenes where he's full on vain yep. and it sounds nice. And there are some game lines where it's just like, oh, he has checked out. Who does he think yep. he is? He's Bill Murray. Yeah, he's Bill Murray, <laughs> unfortunately. Unfortunately, yes. No, again, yeah, there's, I guess there's lots of stories about it if you dig too deeply. But I, mm. I can't always bring him up because... So yeah, the go these these, I guess most recent Ghostbusters games. I've ever been more later, but I mean these specifically the two thousand and nine iterations, like they are meant to be 
Ghostbusters 3, even though they bizarrely feature lots of scenes back in the old locations of the first films. Like, yeah. Don't like, forget to the hotel puff. again. Stay yeah. puff again. The library again. But I'll give love... them, yeah, I'll give them license on that because it's your first level and it's kind of like scene setting. It's setting the table. So it's like, mm. ah, fine. And also, also that first level, you get bits where you're in this game development studio and they've got little cute game references like you actually shoot some sort of pixelated ghosts that mm. look like kind of pac-man ghosts and yeah there's like arcade there's like posters for games called like fungus dudes which is like a Mario <laughs> Brothers yeah. kind of like rip off and captain blast them and you know all this kind of stuff so yeah it's there's some like it's it's you know other levels of of humor gonna going on beyond the yeah, maybe half-assed dialogue delivery <laughs> from certain <laughs> cast members. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so, but it does, I'm like, I'm reading, I'm just reminding myself of the, the scripting. A lot of the content, a lot of the script came from the Ghostbusters 3 script which they've been working on. Specifically, they would go to like the, the ghost plane like, or ghost world, uh, I'm calling it here. I am just going to tell you this now. I have read Dan Aykroyd, one of many, I'm sure, but I read Dan Aykroyd's script for Ghostbusters 3 called Hellbound or whatever it was That's called. That's what I was yeah. trying to, I think yeah. it's called something like that. So uh, is, did you read that thinking, I wish this was made or? No, you... uh, this, that would have killed the franchise for good because you got to remember, so to give it, to give it its due, it was a first draft script, right? And if you ever heard the stories of Dan Aykroyd's first draft to Ghostbusters, then you know what his first draft <laughs> are like. They are everything <laughs> in the kitchen sink. The problem with that script is it wasn't particularly funny, but it was big on detail. And it actually felt more like a, a movie version of real Ghostbusters than it did a Ghostbusters sequel. Because it starts off with like all these different Ecto-1s driving into this warehouse. And they've all got, because they're all different, you know, um, different groups who go out across New York and they all come back at the end of the day and they have this big warehouse. And it's kind of, it's interesting world building. But then you realize that's all the first half of the film is where it's like more tech, more characters, more characters. I can't focus on any of these characters. And then they split the team up and then some of them go into hell and some of them stay above to deal with all the trouble. Um, and Bill, at this point, you realize, oh, it's been about 100 pages and there's no Venkman. I wonder why mm -hmm. there's no Venkman in this. And spoilers, I'm going to tell you why. Because right at the end of the scene, the main villain is basically a, a, a yuppie in hell. Like He's like a demon who's basically like a Wall Street banker. So when they go to him in hell, he's got like a kind of skyscraper made of fire and it's looking out across the city. It's like a kind of upside down version of New York. Um, and he's skeevy and he wears the braces and he's kind of very cartoony character. Um, and then he's evil and then they go, oh, we need help. Who can help? God. So God turns up. But it's kind of oblique. It's not really God. But what God, what form does God take? He takes the form of Dr. Peter Venkman. Oh, my so God. So Bill Murray, <laughs> as Venkman, as a ghost, as God, comes out and is in like three pages of him just saying, I can't help you, but I got you out of that sticky bind. So go, bye, good luck. And that's it. I can imagine like so that's how, 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 how do we get yeah. Bill Murray interested? He plays God. Okay. Well, oh, he's man. wanted. He said for years, there's an interview with him in 1987, 88 saying if he doesn't want to do Ghostbusters 2 ever. And if he comes back, he wants to be killed off and become a ghost, uh, which is why he gets killed off in Ghostbusters Afterlife. He specifically said he wanted to be killed off in him, which is why his character dies in that. Um, obviously, he didn't get that chance because we go, poor no, old, uh, sorry, old Venkman. Venkman doesn't die in Afterlife. Again, no, but that's the thing, isn't it? Sounds. But that's the thing, isn't it? It's kind of like, I reckon he would have 
if Harold Ramis hadn't had the gall to die first in real life. <laughs> I mean, his cameo, the, all the cameos in, like, after Answer the Call are, are pretty pretty poor. I actually like yeah, Dan Aykroyd as a taxi driver, but I feel like Bill Murray, going back to what we're saying about him, he, he doesn't seem, doesn't even want to stand up. He, he sits down Paul immediately. Fee. I interviewed Paul Fee for my book, and he said every day on set, Bill Murray was into it. He's having a good time. Oh, that's so and crazy. It's so weird. Yeah, and he said he, it was because he got to play the Walter Peck. He, got, he didn't have to be funny. Mm. He just had to be a dick, and he enjoyed that Apparently he enjoyed that on set, and that he was he was happy to be killed off and make fun of it almost. Um, but I don't think you're right. I think it doesn't come across on screen though, particularly. No. And also, you were talking about <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's lots of stories of Bill Murray being enjoying being a dick on set. Oh yeah. <laughs> again, since we keep returning to the old answer the call, well, um, like you mentioned, the villain in the script for Dan Aykroyd's. Ghostbusters 3. I actually love how the villain in After the Call, he's like an entitled sort of troll bloke fella, isn't he? he yeah. Doesn't... But I also like that he does know about the supernatural world and he knows about mm. the technology. You know, he's learned from that book. The, the, you know what? This, I don't want to go on about it too much because whatever. If you don't like it, whatever. <laughs> is it, this gonna... is your moment, man. No, because I've had six... many moments and all they do is get me into more <laughs> trouble with the quote unquote real fan base. But like. <laughs> I th- I think there's a lot of like there's, there's a really good cut of Ghostbusters Answer the Call that doesn't exist yet because oh, I've seen sure. three I've seen three cuts the theatrical I've seen the uh, director's cut on the Blu-ray and then there's a there's a fan edit and the fan edit's fascinating because you can see exactly what that fan wants from a Ghostbusters film mm. and in some instances I go oh he's done a good edit there oh I see what he's done oh he's great. But then there's some bits where I've gone, no, what you've done there is you've put your sense of humor into that film. Mm-hmm. You know, it, there's a difference between reframing something and then just changing the humor. And I think there is a perfect version of that film in there somewhere. Uh, I'm just not the one to find it. So, mm. I mean, we were talking about the Ghostbusters video games a moment ago. And so if we're taking anything from those Wii games and the Xbox games, I really need to seek out the Wii game. Because I admit, I yeah. probably didn't really pay attention to that. And so that's a recommendation. It's it always watched... showed up in CEX. So if you ever see one, it's like four okay. quid. Then, yeah, there's literally no excuse. And mm. so get the Wii version of Ghostbusters. Watch Answer the Call again until I enjoy no, it this time. No, don't, don't, don't force <laughs> yourself. But, um... I, I mean, this is the thing. I'm just going to say this as well. You want me to... I mean... I, Ghostbusters is Ghostbusters. I've learned that I love Ghostbusters, not Ghostbusters. So I like the film, maybe not the whole world. You know what I mean? It's like I pick and choose what I like from it. Oh, yeah. But if you want to say what my favorite scene in Ghostbusters of all time is across everything, it is the Times Square fight between Holtzman with that theme music in the background in Times Square where she takes on all those ghosts by herself. That's the only scene in any of these films that put hers on the back of my neck go up. Because when she pulls out those guns <laughs> and then the score works in the Dan, uh, the Ray Parker Jr. theme into the score and she's doing all that thing in slow motion. Even now I've got like, it's weird. Even now I've got goosebumps <laughs> from it because it so was like, this is what, what I licks, want. It's because when she licks the guns, that does it yeah. for you. Well, it's okay. just everything's cool about that. I mean, and I, I love t- it. When, if I see a particle accelerator, I'm very tempted to give it a good lick. I you should, especially <laughs> on the brightest, hottest part. Make sure you give it the biggest lick. <laughs> I mean, but it's sort of, kind of like a shame that maybe I don't know there would be life in there in those in that group of Ghostbusters from Mars the Call specifically. You know, maybe they could have had a life in video games. Uh, well, they too. had the, like, there like wasn't anything made at the time, was there? 
No, they oh, okay. have like a they dimensions. Which, if you want to talk about games, yeah, that's pretty good for what it is. I mean, it, they slot the Ghostbusters into that Lego world quite well. And there was um, the movie, and there was the answer the call characters as well. So there's uh, a... right, okay. Because I got the expansion pack for it just so I could have the Lego. I didn't mm. actually play the mm. game or mm. buy it. I just got the Lego set. Um, so you get the little Chinese takeaway restaurant that they work from in the film. Oh, um, okay. Cool. And it's it's, it's a whole it's a whole. It's like it's weird. You get the characters from '84 with certain levels, but not the whole film. But you get answer the calls whole film as a game in that one. So it's worth uh, nosing if you're interested. But I don't think it's... you can even play Dimensions anymore, can you? I think they might have shut off the servers. Oh. I mean, we're going to bring this lovely meander through Ghostbusters to a close shortly, but mm. I think it's probably worth talking about maybe the future of Ghostbusters games and, and maybe Ghostbusters adjacent games because mm. I think quite so often, I mean, the Ghostbusters influence is, you know, un unsurpassed in a way. There's, it's yeah. so much stuff. And I think you mentioned... Like you're a big Luigi's Mansion fan, and of course that is a Ghostbusters. It is the perfect Ghostbusters game they've never made. It's so strange because I <laughs> admire the first game. I love the second. When I bought Luigi's Mansion Three, I was like, "This is the Ghostbusters game I have wanted all my life." I demolished that game over a long weekend <laughs> and just soaked it up. It's kind of weird. It's kind of like. If Nintendo teamed up with Disney's Haunted Mansion to make a Ghostbusters game, this is what you'd get. And uh, I, I adore it. And it's weird. And it's creative. And it's it's fundamentally the same. You have a thing on your back, you suck up ghosts, you win. Fluid. <laughs> you know, Winning. But it's just the tone works. I mean, you know, maybe it wouldn't translate perfectly to the Ghostbusters IP, but I've had a more satisfying experience with that game than most of the real Ghostbusters games I've played. I mean, and also the real, the real Ghostbusters game. The real, real Ghostbusters game, yeah. But you know, again, I, I, I would like to see those characters back as well. Funnily enough, it'd be you could easily do that. I reckon all the voice cast is still alive. I know oh, Lorenzo Music isn't, but the guy who took over him uh, mm. is still going. So yeah, so yeah, I love Luigi's Mansion. It's one of my favorite things. It's literally jumped into my top five games of all time. And Is that's the most recent one on Switch. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I should pick it up then. I mean, one thing. I'm... Go on, Go on. Sorry. I was going to say the one thing that blew my mind is all the way through the through the game. There are loads of references to other horror films and other films in general, right? Oh, I love it. Uh, but right at the end, for some reason, in a Nintendo Luigi game, there is a direct callback well, not callback there's a direct reference to old boy so you know in old boy there's the fight in the corridor with all those yeah. villains and the hammers they literally do that in luigi's mansion at one of the final stages it's like luigi and a long corridor with loads of ghosts he's got to fight through and it's done from the side you the same as old boy as well and i was just sitting there going this is a crazy oh, deep that's, dive that's, reference that's my next purchase man i'm totally gonna get that I it mean... does evil dead references it does hammerville references it does it's it's a beautiful little game and one thing i've been playing a lot because it's just come out is splatoon 3 and oh, okay you gotta you got believe every time i've got like pink colored slime or ink and squirting everywhere i'm like i've got yeah i've got that triumphant ghostbusters 2 music in my head yeah um, yeah yeah I, and you know what? I was always hot, I was very hard on the Ghostbusters two soundtrack, um, and then I bought the vinyl of it recently and Bobby just listened to it. 
Bobby Brown? Uh, is that no, no, this is the actual score of the film. Anyway, I was just like, so I listened to the score back again. It was like, oh, this is all right. Some of it's awful, but it's all right. The older I get, the more kind I am on Ghostbusters 2 because it's comfort food. I guess also with Luigi's Mansion, um, you have Luigi's Ghost Mansion, which was part of um, Nintendo Land on the Wii U. Um, and that is like an asymmetric multiplayer, um, which was very good, which brings us on to sort of Spirits Unleashed, which I guess is the new Ghostbuster game, which is also an asymmetric multiplayer title. Oh, because when you asked me about that, whether I was going to get it, it's basically I don't have a machine to play that game on. It's not coming out for the Switch, so I can't play it. But also, I'm not, I don't like online games. For me, gaming is a kind of solitary thing. It's like I turn my game on, I play with it, and then I put it down. I don't like waiting for chat rooms or secure links and having to have five people in a room to play a game. It's like, ah, just leave me alone to play. Yeah, I, I get a bit scared of asymmetric horror. I mean, I love Evil Dead, but I don't really want to play it. I just, I think I just don't want to have the responsibility of being Jason Voorhees and all, be, <laughs> all, all being chased by Jason Voorhees. So maybe I'm, I'm out of luck there. I mean, it makes sense conceptually for that genre of game. Absolutely. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know. It's just not my genre. It's That's what it comes down to. It's not a taste thing. It's not an anti-afterlife Ghostbusters stance. It's just I don't have access to it. I don't really justify affording it. And if it comes to the Switch, then then maybe yes, but we'll see. Right now, I really want to play that, what is it, para game where you're a ghost hunter. It's a Steam game or something, I've been told. I haven't heard that. But actually, if you want a film recommendation, um, mm. I have the... I think you might like it. There's a, you know, the streaming service Shudder. Oh, is this um, Deadstream? Yes. Have you yes. seen Deadstream? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's good. I thought I was going to hate it. And it's actually quite a lot of fun. Yeah. So for our listeners, if you want to check that out, it is about a live streaming ghost hunter who, um, but what I think what it made me feel, it reminded me of Luigi's Mansion because he pref- he's a coward. And I think that's mm. one thing I really like about my horrors when the guy... I mean, obviously, everyone gets scared in a horror film, but when the hero a, is a self-professed like... coward <laughs> and, and is... you know, quite selfish and only doing mm. it for the hits, it's kind of it's cute. Yeah, so I would check that out if if you're wanting something spooky Ooh. to watch at Halloween. I would recommend this if you want a deep dive. If you want a deep dive horror film for Halloween, Ty West, who recently did X mm. and Pearl, he did a film a few years ago that I absolutely love called The Innkeepers. Um, not seen that one yeah i've seen I've the seen innkeepers right. it's basically if you want me to do the kind of elevator pitch it's it's a cross between like clerks and the haunting so it's like the first half is like a hangout thing about these two people in this hotel as it's ending its final days before it's shut down forever but then they go well let's go hunting for the ghost that's been here and no one's ever found and so they go looking for this ghost and then oh spookums it's really good yeah i really liked the the innkeepers it's like yeah, it's kind of like funny and chill, and then when it wants to be scary, it's really scary. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it, it's it's great. It's it's like it's a nice little secret horror film. Not a lot of people talked about it. It kind of got lost in the fog in the day. But if you can, if you ever see it, it's it's a, it's a delight. Yeah, Ty West's time has become one of my favorite filmmakers in the last years because of things like that and House of mm. the Devil. Yeah, but- yeah, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> we know that you've got to make a move. Um, I do, unfortunately. Sorry, boys. Because uh, yeah, I think 
I'm sure, like, when we invite you, like, oh, does he want to talk about Ghostbusters? Because he probably talks about it all the time. But if you love something, <laughs> then you let I'm it go. down. The way the idea is, once the book comes out, I think I can put Ghostbusters to bed and just make it a private matter from that point on. <laughs> just because I think I'm just going to get everyone's going to get bored of me talking about it. So the next <laughs> thing is probably going. Well, let's have a look at my shelf. What can I get into? I don't know. Killer Clowns from Outer Space is quite good. I might get back into that. <laughs> well, that's coming in. That's becoming a video game as well. Yeah. Right. Can't get but that. Like, so, <laughs> quick, quick elevator pitch. Then, what would be your ideal Ghostbuster game if that hasn't already been made? Is there something you that has been missing? No, you know what? I would say for all of its problems, I think the 2009 game, both for the Wii and the Xbox or whatever, did about as good as you could with the format and sure. that structure. I don't think you'd be able to change too much about it. But the reason why I pl- I think Luigi's Mansion 3 is probably the best Ghostbusters game there never was is just because I think it has the flow, it has the mood, it's it's spooky without being scary, it's silly without being stupid, it's creative, there's always something different. I, I, I generally like it, but also I would say if they brought back the new Ghostbusters 2 remastered with new weapons and ghosts and maps and best better boss battles and save points, then that would be a contender for my favourite Ghostbusters game of all time. Probably by a wide margin. Nice. Well, watch the spooks. That's so terrible. Hey, you've been sitting on that <laughs> for 90 minutes. Oh, God, that's terrible. Um, but, yeah, just before you go, like, tell us about the book again. Um, what's its title? Where we can, where we can find it? When so, it, when's it coming uh, out? Oh, that's a good question. I'm still writing it. I'm halfway through. I'm about 70,000 words into it right now. And I'm just finally getting through the early years and getting into the whole bit about me doing ghost hunting and all this kind of stuff. So uh, it's called, at the moment, it's called Paul Gannon Ain't Afraid of No Ghost. And it's a history of me, my love of Ghostbusters, and my history of ghost hunting, and all the lessons that I learned along the way. Uh, and hopefully that'll be out next year. Um, I know maybe it's a bit bad form to offer like grammatical advice, but that's a double negative you've used in that title. No, what, Ain't Afraid of No Ghost? Yeah, I know, yeah. but unfortunately, uh, you can blame uh, Ray Parker Jr. You for that, to, you not need to, me. You need to correct that. <laughs> make sure make, make, make the title accurate just, you know, for all the pedants out there. Well, the thing is, I could say it actually does stand up under my thing, because I don't believe in ghosts, so I can't be afraid of no ghost. Oh, dear. You've got to go. We could be here a lot longer talking. <laughs> I'm just I saying, there's always a loophole. There's always a loophole. In this language, there's a loophole. Well, gents, it's been lovely. If anyone wants to hear my podcast, it's called Cheap Show. Anything after that is up to you to decide. <laughs> I have, I'm not getting involved. Thanks. It's a wonderful well, podcast. I've been, uh, enjoyed it very much and enjoyed uh, your company thank you. today as thank well. Thank you very much. Paul. And uh, where can people find you on the internet if people need to find you on the internet? Uh, the one-stop shop is Twitter, really. So with the podcast, it's at the podcast. Uh, no, at the Cheap Show pod. And I'm at Paul Gannon Show. My name was Show on the end. You'll find me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we usually do a bit of wrap up, but we can let you go, I think. All um, right, then. But we'll, we'll well, say what? What, hugs and kisses and thanks. All right, I just uh, don't want to hang up and then blow your recording. So that won't affect anything, will I? No, I think you can just you can just sign out, can't you? All right, well, then sod this. Bye, losers. Thank you, Paul. Well, that's us talking about the whole Ghostbusters franchise. <laughs> Um, that's why it's talking about all Ghostbusters franchise but in the meantime how can people keep in touch with games on film 
You can find more information about the podcast on our website, gamesonfilm.witsite.com slash podcast. We're on social media, we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at gamesonfilmpod. You can contact us, gamesonfilmpod at gmail.com. All episodes of the podcast are available wherever you find your podcast, whether it's Spotify, Acast, Apple Podcasts. So please do like, rate, review, share, and subscribe. And the music for this episode was composed by David Lightfoot. Harry, are you on Twitter? I'm at OnlyManWhoCan. And I'm on Twitter at Rory Steele. Well, thanks very much. Um, I, I can't think of any more Ghostbuster catchphrases to say, so I'll just say bye. <laughs> <laughs> All right, bye then. <laughs>